Hello again, everyone. I am your host, Tim Schwartz, and I want to thank you so much for joining me on Life After Blindness. This is the podcast where we are dedicated to the exploration of an enabled life with blindness. Now, as always, if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can visit lifeafterblindness.com slash 19. That's lifeafterblindness.com slash 19. Or if you have questions or comments for me about this or any other episode, please send those emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. Now, as many of you may know, last week I did a special edition of the Life After Blindness Spotlight interview podcast where I spoke with Marty Schultz from Kid Friendly Software. Marty was having some issues with Apple concerning his Blindfold Games series of apps that are in the Apple App Store, and they were preventing him from adding new games as well as updating his existing games. And so I spoke with Marty last week about that on the Spotlight interview, and to the great effort of the blind and visually impaired community from different forums and uh, message boards and podcasts like this and emails that were sent in, Marty spoke with Apple and they dove in a little bit deeper and uh, they have a new resolution to this issue. So we'll be talking about that later on in the podcast. I'll have a follow-up interview with Marty where he'll talk about what has happened since last week when we spoke. And then also coming up later in the podcast, I'll be speaking with Sean Priest. He'll be discussing that particular issue with me, as well as some other top items going on lately in the blindness community, uh, such as uh, Twitter, adding 140 more characters to your Twitter posts. We'll also be talking about the new iPhone 10 and so much more. So stay tuned for that later on in the show. But first, we're going to hear from our good friend, friend of the podcast, Maria Johnson. You know her from girlgoneblind.com. She's going to share with us her Because of My Blindness story. Here's Maria Johnson. Because of my blindness, I have discovered how strong of a person I am. I really am. And to get through some of these really difficult times, I had to dig so deep, Tim, into the abyss of my soul where the glowing creatures live. I mean, like where nobody goes to find enough strength to get through some of the most darkest moments of my life. And I'll tell you, you know, when you have to go down as down as I have, um, realizing that your life is now completely different and you're going to have to figure this out. You go down hard and you go down for a while and it takes so much strength to crawl and to pull yourself back up each and every time. But each and every time I did, you know, I, I was like, wow, okay, I made it. I made it. And I almost would look, I almost felt amazed at myself for like, wow, I can't believe I got through that, that moment, that week, that hour, whatever it was. And I honestly, Tim, I just didn't know that I had it in me to get through this. And I know that may not be, this may not be your typical because of my blindness story, but that is truly, truly what I discovered. And I think that a lot of people that go through this type of thing, um, and it could be any kind of you know, like I said, life-changing event, you know, you do discover who, what you're really made of. Um, your the courage, the courage to go out by myself and uh, go to the bank by myself, something I've done a million times. But the courage I found, the strength I found, the mental strength I found to do that was so huge in my life. 
And it was such, and it helped, those things have helped me to accomplish the things that I've needed to accomplish to get to where I am today, four years later, living a pretty okay life. There's, again, like I said, I've said to you before, Tim, and other talks we've had, you know, it's, I still have a lot to do, but I would not have been able to get through this, this <laughs> um, blindness, if you will, if I hadn't been able to dig down as deep as I did and pull up what, whatever I could to, to get me through um, the really, really tough times. And, um, and I always hope that other folks can do that and not everybody can. And I am thankful, so thankful that I was able to do that. And um, uh, wow, you know, cause it's that one time that you can't and it's, you know, it's bad news. So, um, you know, I discovered, you know, what I was really made of because of my blindness. Maria, thank you very much for sharing your Because of My Blindness story. And if you'd like to share your story, just like Maria did, you can send those to me in a couple of different ways. You can either attach an audio file to an email, send that to tim at lifeafterblindness.com, or if you'd rather just type out your story for me to read on the podcast, of course, just include that in the body of the email and I'll read that for you. Now joining me from the RNIB Tech Talk podcast, as well as Double Tap Canada, and the Audio Pizza Podcast, Sean Priest. Sean, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. No problem, Tim. It's always fun when I come here. <laughs> we always find a way to have a good time, <laughs> don't we? So the top story this week from the blindness community revolves around the Blindfold Games series of apps that you can download for your iPhone and iDevices. Uh, Marty Schultz had been requesting the community to give him some help here because Apple had instituted a new rule that was preventing him, going forward at least, from adding new games to the App Store as well as updating his current games. Thankfully, with the help of the community and online forums and podcasts like this, people sent in their emails and made their phone calls to Apple and changed Apple's mind seemingly. And, and I know Marty was talking with them a lot behind the scenes. John, before I get your opinion on this, I've spoken to Marty as a follow-up from the interview I did with him last week, and he's going to update us in his own words as to what happened. Here's Marty. So Apple has a new rule in their developers agreement where they're trying to reduce the amount of clutter and spam in the app store. So they said that if you have apps that, that for the most part act the same way, but differ only by the content that you download from the web, such as a video or an audio or text, you need to eliminate multiple copies of the app and have all that co coalesce into one app. Well, about three weeks ago, when I was doing updates for some of the apps under I, for iOS 11, I released an update for uh, Blindfold Horse Race, Blindfold Craps, and uh, Blindfold Hopper. And Apple came back and said, these apps are almost identical. They vary only in what's in the content you download from the web, so please merge them into one app. And I write back, no, that's not true. Please read the user guide. This goes back and forth a few times. They finally tell me that they'll have a developer call me in about a week or so. Uh, I talked to the developer. I'm sorry, I talked to the reviewer. Um, this guy Adam, and he tells me in this conversation that even though the apps are not identical, they should be grouped together, so all the sports games should be one app, and uh, all the TV game shows should be another app, and he basically said, unless I do that move, um, he will not allow me to do any new updates for the app, and he will not allow me to rele release any new apps into the app store. And I thought that was kind of a wrong decision, 
So I posted this up at my blog. I tweeted about it, sent email. You guys contacted me. We discussed this in a podcast a few days ago. Well, I think a lot of the advocacy uh, that the blindness community contributed caused Apple to look at the situation again because on Friday night, uh, Adam called me up again and he said, look, Marty, my, I felt kind of bad about where we left the last call. My team and I have been working with your apps the past three or four days, and we realized that the points you were making were perfectly valid uh, in that it doesn't make a lot of sense to merge these apps together because each app is significantly different from the, the other apps. And in those apps that have multiple games, such as multiple games for basketball or multiple games for dominoes or multiple games for a solitaire, you, you keep them all in one app. You don't split them into multiple apps. Um, he also said he understands within the visually impaired community, sometimes the discoverability of an app can be a problem. And what that specifically means is if you have six or 10 or 15 games all in one app, there are some people who are visually impaired, who are not as familiar with using the gestures, and then they'll never discover anything that's not on the first screen in this uh, scrolling menu. So when they looked at all those issues, he said, yes, it makes sense to keep the games as they are and to continue doing the games as they are. He said, if there's an opportunity, if you're doing very, very similar games, and there's an opportunity to merge any of your new games together, he would like me to consider doing that. And I said, well, I have no problem with that, but before I make a decision, I need to run these issues um, by the testers of the blindfold games who are all either visually impaired or have low vision and make sure that they agree with any, any merging of apps so that way me as a sighted person doesn't make an assumption about how people would um, interact with the games and that everything is fully discoverable. So we had a great conversation. I have a lot of respect for Apple in that they realized they applied a rule too quickly and they didn't dive into the situation. But once they dived in, they were able to think, what's the best thing to do here? And they did the research to come up with what the best solution was. So they really took a, a hands-on approach to this. Very much so. And they, he, he really appre appreciated the fact that all these games are not just accessible, they're designed for rapid audio play, and instead of every button push needing you know, one tap to get the button name and then a second tap to execute it, he appreciated the fact that we have swipe gestures or multi-tap multi gestures in so many different games, and that in a lot of cases, these gestures are the same across the games, so the learning curve for somebody to start playing my games drastically drops down, and it's much easier and faster to have a a very good gaming experience. So I think Apple learned a lot in this process, and um, I think it was the advocacy of people like you, um, a lot of the people who wrote emails to the accessibility desk, some of the larger organizations reaching out that caused Apple to say, hey, let's really take a look at this issue and see whether the, the right decision is being made. That being said, there are a, a few, probably a smaller few, but a few people out there saying that, oh, well, Apple just did this as preferential treatment for the blind, that maybe maybe the rules st should still apply. What, what do you say to that? I don't think if Apple didn't think that this made a lot of sense to make the games be as viable as they are, Apple would have done it. They weren't, they weren't simply saying, well, these people blind, let's you know cut them a break, let's treat them differently. That's not what they said. What they said was, there's a specific issue here relating to the discoverability of these things. 
and each app is really unique of itself. And when you take the two things together, it meant that this rule to eliminate spam does not apply. So they want to remove the spam from the store, and they realize we're not causing spam. We're simply packaging up apps in a way that's most appropriate for the audience. So if I come out with a bunch of games that are all Braille-oriented, focused on people just learning Braille, it makes sense to have those under a different set of apps, but each app should be unique. Now, if there are multiple apps that are all focused on teaching specific O&M skills to fifth and sixth graders, it makes sense to put those into one app because that would make it easiest for the student and easiest for the teachers doing that. Sure. But if, if the games, if each game is really unique from the other games, then it says um, they should be different. He did ask me that for some of the games where I have two different flavors of the game, like bowling and bowling with friends, if it makes sense to merge them back into one app. And we talked a little about why I did that, and we kind of left that open to, uh, to my discretion as far as which way to go. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, Apple being a business, being a corporation, they have to decide whether your games, your apps are meeting their requirements. And ultimately, that's what it came down to. It's just bottom line. They decided this does not apply here. The rule does not apply. Right. And if I read the rule, I'm actually going to be blogging about this next week. The specific rule is under the category of spam. And I think they just overly aggressively applied that rule before investigating the issue. But I have to give a lot of credit to Apple. Once they did investigate the issue and they read the hundred or so different testimonials that people copied me on, and I included that in a correspondence I had with Apple, and they started actually playing with the games and they realized these games are significantly different from a lot of the apps in the App Store. And, and they had to listen in the instructions. They couldn't simply um, read through and scan it with their eyes. They actually had to play the game as an audio game. And they realized, yes, this is a different type of app we're dealing with. And let's now analyze it. Is this the best approach? And they concluded this approach makes a lot of sense. Very good. Well, I'm very glad to hear that Apple... Uh, was able to work with you so directly and so intimately, quite honestly, with the games and really take that hands-on approach to learn that this wasn't spam, that that wasn't ever your intent and and that you were willing to work with them, obviously, as well. And and I'm very glad to hear that the outpouring of the community to come to your aid in this matter also helped as well. So I'm very glad that this had a happy ending. Yeah. I want, I've been playing with some, art, some augmented reality and some... Uh, machine learning for both uh, vision, uh, like looking at things in pictures, as well as kind of what's in the room, things like that. And I'll probably, I was, I launched those. I just had the testers come up with it and play with it. Um, they're not really games, that, but uh, maybe there's an idea for game there. But I'm going to, but to thank the community, I'm going to put a couple of these kind of experiments out there for people to play with. And maybe they can kind of get some ideas on directions we can take as, as one of my ways to thank the community. That would be fantastic, and I'm sure the community will be very appreciative of being able to to, uh, to take a look at something like that. All right, well, Marty, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and talking us through this and letting us know about this happy ending. Thank you so much again for joining me. Hey, thanks a lot, and thanks for everybody for their advocacy. Sean, thankfully, this is a story with a happy ending. Sounds like the community really came together and did a good service here for Marty and the Blindfold Game series. What do you think about this whole issue with Apple and uh, them changing their mind? Well, firstly, how quick a turnaround was that? I mean, you know, it was just seemed to be in a couple of days, 
bang, changed around. Uh, yeah, the the blind community d- did a really good job. You know, everyone emailed and, and did what they had to do. So, um, yeah, well done, everyone who made this happen, really. Um, I sort of understand Apple's position. Well, I do totally understand Apple's position. They, they do need to uh, be wary that the App Store doesn't get flooded with... I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the Amazon Skill store and well it's not the store but the amazon skill section and there's so many similar skills there uh with slight differences and they just take over and it's really hard to find things so i understand that apple have got to be wary of the same sort of thing happening on the app store uh but i definitely think it was a case of there's this new rule and it was used overzealously maybe a bit of misunderstanding as to actually what blindfold games were i think they saw the title blindfold games whatever you know solitaire dominoes whatever they are (laughs) there's so many of them and they just assumed oh they must all be the same i think as soon as they started looking into it they could see ah no these are obviously totally different games so and plus all the um the emails and the uh the talk about it uh you know that helped Absolutely. I think that it was just a matter of a miscommunication with this particular rule. I do see the point, like you said, about, you know, maybe if he was able to combine his casino games or card games into one app. But mm-hmm. at this point, going backward and doing that, as as Marty has stated in the interview I did with him last week, the hours, the manpower that it would take, the develop, development time that it would take to do that, th- there would just be no real way for him to do that in, in a reasonable kind of fashion. And so... Um, if he had had this rule previously, I-, I could see where maybe he would have done that. And he even admitted he would have tried to do that from the beginning if he had known that that would even have ever been an issue. That's right. Uh, but for them to come and say in their emails to him, well, Hopper and Craps are too similar, so they need to be the same. No, Hopper and Craps are totally different. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, okay, blindfold games as a series of games. And I think that might have been the major confusion, them just thinking, well, these are all just the same. And when they really break it down and look at it and see, oh, wait, okay, he does have some that are similar, but others that are completely different. This this rule shouldn't really apply here. I think that that was the right decision. Now, Sean, what do you think about this notion put forward by some that this is just preferential treatment to the blind um no i don't buy it myself no I, I, to be honest I, I don't know i really don't know how to answer that question <laughs> because preferential treatment to the blind no i think we i think they probably did get a lot of response i did notice it more because it is from the blind community maybe there's a reason why they paid attention more but i think the actual decision to say no actually we were wrong on this occasion i think that's a perfectly valid and that is the right decision so maybe apple paid more attention because uh, you know of the blind community uh but i think the decision was right anyway so does it really matter well and i think that's exactly right the the idea that in the end does it really matter but that being said apple instituted this rule they went back and looked at the rule and knowing apple and their history Honestly, if if they still found that no, we're we're right and we think you're wrong and you need to change it, I think Apple would have stuck by that. I think that they would have said this is the rule, abide by the rule. But when they had so many people emailing them and calling them and talking about the issue, I think that forced them to dig in deeper beyond just what Marty himself was telling them. 
and they came to that realization that, okay, this rule actually does not apply here. So I agree with you. I don't think that this was preferential treatment necessarily as much as it was just listening to a community and digging in deeper to realize this rule didn't necessarily apply here. Yeah, that's right. It was just a case of trying to get someone a little higher up to just take a look. You know, let's, let's not go off the script here. Let's not go off the template. Just actually take a look into it and you'll see that this is the right decision. Exactly. All right. Well, again, congratulations to Marty Schultz and Blindfold Games for, for winning this uh, small battle. And uh, we will look forward to all the brand new games and uh, apps that he'll be bringing out in the future. Next up this week, Sean, we've got news from Twitter saying that finally, finally, they're going to update the allowed character count in each tweet from 140 characters to 280 characters. Sean, I know you're not on social media a lot, but the little bit that you are, I'm sure this is uh, is good news. Oh, yeah, definitely. 140 characters is always such hard work. You know, you're trying to fit what you want to say in and you'll get to the end and it's no. It's, it's too long. So you've got to go back through and try and find different ways to say things and deleting characters here and there and deleting punctuation. I hate that about it. Um, now, I was, I think Twitter is probably the main one I use and I don't use that very often now. It, I mean, it's great for news and that's all I use it for. I just find it a little bit too, too busy now. People seem to just um, post links and, and that's it. So with the character limit doubling maybe there'll be more conversation on there um maybe it will grow a little bit more i mean i'm not saying it's a you know twitter's a bad thing at all i mean it is very useful but it just it's more like a news feed and i'm just wondering you know with more characters maybe there'll be more conversation more feedback and interaction from it Sean, I completely agree, and that's why I wanted to include it in the news this week, because Twitter has really become a gathering place for the blind and visually impaired, and I think to double the amount of characters is going to help, not only in situations like ours, where you know I'm trying to tweet out things for Life After Blindness or Double Tap Canada, and, and you know trying to fit what I need to fit for <laughs> our shows and, and and talk about, you know, what's coming up on the next episode or what we did in the last episode. And, you know, I've really become or had to be forced to become the social media extraordinaire here because I've had to force myself to learn all the little tricks of the trade to fit in things within that 140 characters, you know, trying to find, okay, I'm, I'm two characters short. Where can I, did I use the word and anywhere where I can use an ampersand or yes. did I, that I do something else like that where I can, I can change a word or, or, you know, get my thesaurus out and use a different word if I have to. I mean, it shouldn't, shouldn't be necessary to use a thesaurus to be on social media. And so, <laughs> um, it's just, it's just going to be a, a really helpful thing, not just for people like us who are, are podcasting um, and sending out news feed type things, like you said, but the conversational aspect of it, it really is hard to have a conversation on Twitter and bits and pieces and short little sentences that go back and forth. And, yeah. and you end up just not doing it because it's just too difficult to have that conversation. And so by doubling the character limit, I think that's going to be very popular amongst the blindness community because maybe we will be able to have more of a conversation on Twitter. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it doesn't sound like a lot, another 140 characters, but you know, it, it will make a difference. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Moving right along, Sean, the next big story that's been taking over everywhere and not just in the blindness community, but in the tech world in general has been the release of the new iPhones, the iPhone 
8 and 8 Plus, as well as the iPhone 10, the, the anniversary phone for the, the new lineup of iPhones. Now, why I wanted to talk with you about this, Sean, is because we have a bit of a difference of opinion, I think, as to getting into the iPhone 10. The iPhone 8 is is a bit of an upgrade. It's it's the minor upgrade to the iPhone 7, and, and so I don't think there's really much to say about the iPhone 8, but the iPhone 10, the anniversary edition here, in my opinion, is a lot of visual changes. The old LED screen and the camera, you know, the brightness of it, the the colors and, and the true tone color of it that they've added, all these different visual aspects to it aren't as appealing to me, obviously, as somebody who's blind or low vision. And I'm just not too sure, especially with the price point, that I want to get into an iPhone 10. Now, that being said, the geek in me loves this phone. And if I had vision, I would probably already have had it. I would have been there at midnight getting this phone uh, on the uh, initial day of ordering. But visually, I just don't know that I can get into it. And then, like I said, adding the price point even even lessens it more for me. But you don't completely see it that way, do you, Sean? No, um, you're right that we have a difference of opinion in that I'm right and you're wrong. So <laughs> let me explain okay. where you're, you're, you're making a mistake here, Tim. <laughs> no, look, I totally understand. You are right in, in, the, in saying that it is a very visual phone because the main selling point of the iPhone X, I think, could be argued that it is the brand new form factor, which is, well, all about the screen, you know, almost bezel-less, no home button, OLED, like you said. So it's, uh, you know, almost a... Well, it's the first OLED screen that Apple have ever done. So, yes, you could say that it is visual, but I think you could say that for every iPhone anyway. I mean, it's always been about the the, the screen, the retina display, and, and the screen has always been a major part of any iPhone anyway. Um, but I would say, for me personally, I don't think it is just about the visuals. I think there's the the... The form factor is more than just the visual. It's, it's the way it feels. It's the stainless steel band around the edge. It's the weight of it. It's the thickness. It's the glass on the front and the back. It's, you know, the 4 and the 4S for me were like the pinnacle of Apple design. I loved my 4S. Uh, it just felt so nice. The, the SE does so well because it's that sort of form factor. I think the tactile and the feel and the design and the form factor has got a huge amount to do with it, you know how a phone feels in your hand it's got a huge amount to do with what people feel about the phone apart from the visuals of course visuals are hugely important unless you're visually impaired in which case for all the iPhones it makes doesn't make much of a difference anyway if you've got a little bit of vision then you know it is going to be better for you the screen is going to be sharper it's going to be just a nicer screen um, but if you've got no vision then it, the screens doesn't matter if you're on an iPhone 8 or 10 or 4 or whatever um, so I think well like you said the geek in me Tim the geek factor is you know, it's just new. It's a totally different form factor. That's what makes it exciting. It is the 10th anniversary landmark phone. You know, this is important because iPhones have changed everything for the VI community, I think, even if you're an Apple fanboy or not, even if you love Android. You know, it was the iPhone and then with the 3GS, it was the iPhone accessibility that really made accessible hit the mainstream. So if you're an Apple fan or not, you know, you, you, you everyone needs to acknowledge that it did make a huge difference for us. 
So I think the iPhone 10 as an anniversary edition, the price is absolutely ridiculous. Of course it is, but that's up to the individual. <laughs> I just think as a phone itself, of course, I would love one. Yeah, like I said, Sean, I can't disagree with the idea that the geek in me just looks at this phone and just drools. And I just, <laughs> I want it so bad. You know, it's like, this is just, this is tech. You know, this is, this is high quality, awesome tech. And I, and I've just got to have it. But again, I just, you know, the price doesn't bother me too much because I'm already on the, the monthly payment plan. And for me, with what I'm already spending on my current phone per month, you know, I'm already a year into it. I got the next year. It would be like another $15 a month. So it's not a big deal when you look at it in that respect. I mean, over a course of a year, it's a lot, but yeah, that part right. doesn't bother me as much when I'm looking at it as the payment plan. If I'm looking at it on paper, the total difference, then yes, that the, the price is, is, is a big difference on paper, but for the payment plan, it's not bad, but it just goes back to the visuals. And, and like you said, if you're somebody with low vision or, or the, or sighted even, of course, I think that this is a great phone. And if you've got the money and, and money is not an issue, I think this should be the phone that people go out and get. Um, if they've got any vision at all because of the nearly bezel-less screen and the quality of what the OLED screen and the colors and brightness and all that's going to provide, I think it's a fantastic phone if you've got vision. I just start to question it if you have very little or no functional vision or no vision at all. Is this something that, that would be worth your time? And yes, I, I get it. The performance in it, the the speed upgrades and all that may even make it worth it by itself. Um, face ID is, is something that's very interesting, although that's a whole other conversation we can have at another <laughs> time, but, uh, um, people can probably stay tuned to uh, tech talk and, and double tap for conversations about face ID. I'm sure. But, um, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm still on that ledge, Sean. I'm, I'm still there. You're, you're kind of pushing me over the ledge. Oh, to do I am it, definitely. I am pushing you well over there. I, I am, you're I, trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm on my tippy toes, just kind of looking over the ledge, just, just, uh, just not sure. Well, look, I, I, I think, I think you're right. Look, the the difference. Uh, if you're going to upgrade now, if you're on the lookout to update, then you've got the iPhone eight, or you've got the iPhone ten. Now, if you take the visuals out, because the visuals, like I said before, don't really matter either way for us. It True. doesn't matter what it is. The visuals don't matter. So if it's an eight or an eight. so, I mean, you've got the wireless charging. You've got the um, the form factor is the other major difference. Now, I am just so bored. I've got a 6S. Uh, I didn't get the 7 because it's virtually exactly the same. The 8, exactly the same. Okay, so you get wireless charging uh, and the performance increase. But that's it. Whereas the iPhone 10, it, it just feels like a new device. And it's interesting that even the, the mainstream reviewers have been saying, you know, this is the first time I feel excited by it because it's, it's new. It's different. It feels like a new product. Whereas, you know, so far, since the iPhone 6, it's just been the same phone re-released, basically. Um, so, yeah, well, look, what it comes down to is the price. If, if you think that price is fine, then go for it. I would definitely go for it over an 8. If that if you think that price is ridiculous, which it is, <laughs> <laughs> but if you can stretch that price, then that is absolutely fine and definitely go for it. I'm going to miss both of these. I'm, I'm skipping the 8, I'm skipping the 10, and I'm going to see what the next one brings. Well, and that's what's keeping me on the other side of that ledge is the idea that all this technology will, of course, trickle down into the next phone. And so I may be able to save some money, stay at the price that I'm paying in my current payment plan, and just upgrade to the very next one and get all of this technology trickle down into just the standard 
you know, released phone rather than worrying about the anniversary phone. So that's the one thing I think keeping me back on that side of the ledge. Otherwise, everything you say is really difficult for me to disagree with. And, and so as don't main, just jump, just jump, just jump. <laughs> right, well, one of us has to do it, right? Get older. Yeah, yeah. One of us has to do it. But um, yeah, so stay tuned, everybody. I may or may not take that plunge. We we shall see. <laughs> so then, Sean, talking about the new OLED screen in the iPhone 10. Now, Apple is new to OLED, but it's not new to the smartphone market, of course. But there has been some talk about OLED screens and screen burn-in. As we found out uh, recently, the Android Pixel 2 XL OLED screen has been having some issue with burn-in. Now, I bring this up, one, because it is a visual issue. So people with vision that are using maybe an Android phone or wanting to get into the iPhone 10, this, this is something to be aware of. But I had an email from Beth. Now, some people may remember Beth uh, several episodes back. Beth submitted her because of my blindness story. And she's always good about sending me emails to make sure that I'm up on what's going on. So <laughs> thank you, Beth, for sending in an email to me because she had a question, Sean, going back a year ago to the Samsung phones with the battery burnout that was happening and the explosions uh, in some cases that were happening with those batteries. And I wanted to kind of talk about that and ask you, number one, is that still an issue? Do you think that smartphone manufacturers have learned from Samsung's mistakes there? And then bring that forward uh, to today with these OLED burn-ins and talk to me about that and if there's any correlation and, and what they can do about this and learn from it. Yeah, well, um, I think they definitely have... Oh, hello, Beth, by the way. Let me get that in there. Hello, Beth. Um, but I think they definitely... Other companies have definitely learned learned from Samsung there. I think everyone, the whole industry, learned from them simply by saying, thank God that wasn't us. We don't want to be in that situation. The cost alone on the recall, the the, the share price drop, it you know, that was a, a harsh learning curve for Samsung. Um, I, I, I think personally that, you know, the amount of products that these, these companies have got to produce millions and millions and millions, of course, there's going to be a percentage of defects in there. Uh, I think this particular model with the, uh, the battery issue was, uh, rushed out to be Apple's release and a, a slight design flaw um, cause the battery issues. I don't think that'll be happening again. They, like I say, the cost alone is enough to to teach companies. In fact, I think that's the only thing that can get companies to to learn from their mistakes. If it costs them something, that is the bottom line. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it's anything necessary to worry about the battery thing. Of course, there can actually cause injury. It's it can be very serious. Um, and I think the battery thing is going to be taken a lot more seriously. And I don't think we'll see something like that at what well, to that scale again. Like I say, with the mass production, obviously there are going to be the odd defect. But yeah, I think we're perfectly safe. Hopefully so. Um, now, when it comes to the OLED screens, uh, this is fairly new to me. When we talk about burning, that's something we saw decades ago. That was the whole reason screensavers came out on the, the, the Windows PCs and everywhere. That's right, yeah. Because a, a, a burn-in image is basically, if an image is on the screen for too long, it will burn itself um, into the pixels of the screen and will always remain there. It's like a ghost image, like a watermark. So uh, apparently... 
the OLED screens have a issue where this can be a possibility. As you said, the Google uh, Pixel 2 XLs definitely have this problem. We've seen it. Um, apparently, there's been some phones that actually come out of the box with the uh, home back and uh, app overview button already burnt into the screen, as in, you know, even <laughs> you can just always see them there as a ghost image. Apple have, really bizarrely, actually, for Apple... They've actually come out and said, yes, there is a, a potential issue with OLED screens. And they've given the advice that, that you turn the um, the screen timeout to the shortest possible time, which I think is 30 seconds. So they're saying, you know, this is something that could come up. Now, there's been no reports with the iPhone 10 of any burning. But for even for Apple to come out and say, you know what? Yeah, there could be an issue with the OLED screens. For Apple, they never do anything like that. I agree with that. It's a big deal for Apple to come out and say, hey, by the way, this potentially could be an issue. If you have this issue, let us know. But I think that's more them commenting on the technology and what this technology can happen more than them saying, hey, this is something that's our fault that we may have caused. You know, they didn't invent OLED. It's been around a while. So I think this is more them just saying this technology has this potential to have this happen. So if it does happen, let us know. And here's some things you can try to prevent it the, you know, the very best you can. Would you agree with that, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they are, they're not saying, you know, our iPhone 10s have the potential for this burden. They are careful to say the OLED screen has a potential. Right. But still, even for Apple to admit that something, you know, that their product is using, has the potential for this it's uh, it is very strange but i don't think it is an issue uh, going back to beth's email there that i don't think it's anything you should be worried about because you know you are covered by warranty and the, the manufacturers are with an issue like this they will replace the handset anyway so i don't think it's anything you should be particularly worried about you can always get them replaced so uh, i don't think it's anything to even concern yourself with to be honest very good. Well, I think it's very sound advice, and that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show, Sean, to, to talk us through this and, and talk us down, kick me over the ledge, but talk other people off the ledge. So <laughs> that that's why we have Sean Priest on the program. Well, Sean, I want to thank you so much for joining me this week for the news. If anybody wants to uh, get in contact with you or find out more about what you do, how can they do that? You can find me on Twitter at TheBlurredNerd, or you can hear me on the RNIB Connect Radio Tech Talk Show. That's on Freeview Channel 730 if you're in the UK. Or you can just check your favourite podcast catcher. Just search for RNIB Tech Talk. Also, we've just started Double Tap Canada. So if you're in Canada, check us out on AMI. Or, again, just check your favourite podcast app. Or as our good friend Stephen Scott says, or your least favourite podcast app. It'll work either way. <laughs> We're everywhere. Exactly. All right, Sean, well, thanks so much for coming on. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Tim. And if you have any questions or comments for me or just want to say hi, send those emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And again, you can find the show notes for this episode by visiting lifeafterblindness.com slash 19. I'd like to thank my guests this week, Maria Johnson, Marty Schultz, and Sean Priest. I appreciate them all coming on and helping me out this week. And I look forward to you joining me again next time as together we continue our journey to find that there truly can be a life after blindness. Take care, everybody.